trumpeting it as a design change. Retailers are trying to raise those prices without tipping off unsuspecting customers. I'm Shirley Smith. For American Family News, I'm Leslie Pugh. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. We have a special guest this week. Uh, he is a uh, practicing attorney in Montana. I guess he was also an attorney in Florida. Uh, he received a Juris Doctor degree in Cumberland School of Law uh, at Sanford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, he also does a number of other things that... Uh, makes him stand out amongst most of the attorneys I've known over my life. Uh, he's interested in state sovereignty, and he has written or co-authored a book with his uh, fairly well-known father, Chuck Baldwin, who ran for presidency in the Constitutional Party, if I'm correct, and uh, also is a very outspoken minister, and both of them are authors on newswithviews.com. Uh, which is where I guess we've crossed paths somehow or other. And uh, so we're going to have uh, Timothy on the show, and we'll see where the conversation leads us. Uh, welcome, Timothy Baldwin. Thank you very much, Greg. It's good to be on the show this morning. Okay, well, your book, I just finished reading it uh, at the last minute last night, <laughs> which is usually when I get everything done at the last minute. And... Uh, uh, it has lots of footnotes. I, I, I think it has almost as many as my first book, uh, Covenants of the Gods. And uh, when I read a book, I, I don't just read the footnotes. I actually go to the original authors and read the, the quote in context uh, to see if this is really what uh, that author was talking about. And so it took me quite a bit longer to read your book because I had to go read... Uh, Everybody from Rousseau to uh, Puffendorf, uh, which is uh, uh, a lot of people that most people never read. Although uh, some of those same quotes that were in your book I've had in some of our books because I've been reading these guys for a long time. It can be very educational if people were to read that book in that way because I believe that education is a responsibility of everybody and we should not just listen to any one person as if they've got the whole truth. God's the only right. one that's got the whole truth. And so uh, I think that in in listening to one another and and challenging one another, we, we end up iron sharpens iron. And uh, occasionally little sparks may fly in that. But the name of the book is uh, Romans uh, 13. Uh, Actually, I don't have it sitting right in front of me, uh, but there's a subtitle of the true meaning of submission. 
And Romans 13 is one of those common uh, quotes from the Bible that we often hear. Uh, I, I'm not very good at remembering verse and chapter. I can remember what it says. I can talk about the Greek. I can talk about the Hebrew. But for some reason, my brain... I can remember page numbers of books I read 20 years ago, but I cannot... I, I have a difficult time remembering, you know, the... Uh, the scriptural classifications that have come down and the numbering of each individual verse. But Romans 13, simply by the number of times I've heard people bring it up, I remember that one really well. So, And we've written our own book. I don't know if you had a chance to read that or glance over it uh, uh, on Romans 13. Yeah, but I, I think that it's a, a very important uh, verse because it is uh, kind of a verse that's been used to kind of uh, neuter the church uh, and neuter Christianity. Christianity is a very powerful uh, way in which people should it should change every aspect of your life, and people seem to create a whole taboo zone using that single quote of Romans thirteen or maybe Titus and a few other small quotes in the Bible and disregard the whole spirit of the Bible. So why don't you tell us and the listeners out there a little bit about why you and your father uh, decided to co-author this book and and what you hope to accomplish by writing it. Well, we had the same experience that you described with so many Christians using this verse. Oh, this actually not just one verse, but the, the entire chapter of Romans 13 and using it to hold a position that we as Christians do not have the uh, the duty, the obligation, the responsibility to get engaged with government and to ensure and make sure that government is held accountable um, to these fundamental standards of right and wrong. And they, they go on about their lives. You know, the interesting part about that is that a lot of these same people are very studious when it comes to, uh, you know, business or when it comes to um, other realm, other realms of personal life and, and that sort of thing. But when it comes to uh, government, they just have a hands-off approach and they use this first, which uh, I believe, and, and my dad, we, we firmly believe this just is not a correct interpretation of Scripture. So we thought it was necessary to, to um, expound this subject further. And that's what we did with this book, Romans 13, The True Meaning of Submission. Uh, we hope that when people read the book, they will, first of all, get a better understanding of how to think for themselves, how to um, analyze um, scriptures, uh, interpret scriptures using sound rules of interpretation, to come up with, the, um, come up with these conclusions uh, on their own. Uh, and, and, and we have, unfortunately, we have pastors today who are not guiding their, their congregations, um, truthfully in this regard. And I think a lot of that has to do with the 501c corporate status that the church operates under. And so the, the congregations are just simply ignorant on the subject or either not interested. So, uh, we, we, we have to get back to this notion that it's our personal responsibility to know what God's laws are relevant to um, our conduct in all in all areas of life. 
Absolutely. Uh, you know, the that's why I started talking immediately uh, about the fact that education is a personal responsibility. We have to educate ourselves. We have to go the uh, uh, nine yards or more <laughs> to to actually, uh, like the Bereans, to crack open the books and understand what these books that have been passed down uh, from the ages really mean. Uh, I find that the Old Testament and the New Testament are very much in agreement with one another. It's just all the people who read it are in disagreement. <laughs> and a lot of that is preconceived notions, uh, personal agendas, and what have you. But one of the most helpful things in understanding the context of the Bible is looking at the definition of words. Uh, from the beginning, the deceiver used words to help deceive Adam and Eve. And that hasn't changed. We've been deceived a great deal by not understanding words. And we use words like power and society and social contract and, and state of nature, state of society. I'm reading off some of the things that I put down in my notes. Ordained. Uh, what are all these words mean? And one of the first things that you mentioned in the early part of your books was the doctrine of passive submission. Uh, and then you use the to a de facto government. Can you tell us a little bit about what you think this doctrine of passive submission is? And is it good? Is it bad? And, and how how that began to work on, on your thinking? Well, the doctrine of passive submission is uh, similar to what we described earlier where Christians think and, and believe that God would have them do nothing um, concerning government action or government formation or government uh, 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 anything re relating to its form or its substance. It's, it's a hands-off approach. It's a I'm, I'm indifferent to what they're doing. They're going to do what they're going to do. It's ordained of God. I can't do anything about it. I, I have to sit back and just let it happen. That's a passive it's passive doctrine relative to de facto government. Uh, the the significance of using that de facto government is, be, is that uh, there really is no uh, determination made by the person, uh, by the Christian or, or otherwise, whether the government is a, a, a lawful government or if it's just some people holding power that have the force of the sword or the force of taxation upon you. Um, that's there is a difference between de facto government and de jure government. De facto is just you know government in fact or government by power, and then de jure government is government by law or government by authority, meaning it's God ordained. So the doctrine of passive um, submission doesn't care if it's de facto or de jure. It just simply submits to whoever has the most power. And that is a slavish doctrine. It's not scriptural, and um, and, and that's one of the essences of the the book that uh, we wrote. Yeah, I think that if uh, if that were true, simply the guy who had the most power would, should be uh, ruler. Then uh, certainly uh, uh, David should not have uh, challenged. Uh, uh, the uh, the people uh, like Goliath, uh, who had more power, seemingly, <laughs> but David did ch uh, challenge Goliath. Uh, there's there's an old uh, maxim of law: things captured by pirates and robbers do not change the ownership. So if you have a government that's simply there by the power of the sword, 
it's not really government as much as it is a pirate uh, yeah. or a Goliath uh, who wants to usurp authority over you simply by his own power and might. Uh, the reality is that uh, one of the things that we talk about a great deal here is that uh, God really doesn't create these governments. God uh, created us. And we went out and created governments. And yeah. God has some guidelines as to how we should do that. What yeah. we should be the binding agent of our governments. Uh, should it be covetousness? Should it be uh, uh, a desire to rule over our neighbor and our brother? I mean, Cain created a government. But yeah. he had to go out of the presence of God in order to create that government. Yeah. And and we have a choice. Do we want to live in Cain's government or do we want to live in God's government? And I think that if we pay attention to that, it will change the course of a great many of our actions. And and I I did read this just this morning. I saw it. I wanted to read it before uh, we went on the air. Your father's latest article on the 501c3 church. Uh, we we've discussed that uh, so many times before. It's the the last chapter of the book Covenants of the Gods, which uh, w- you know we we have on our website is the body of Christ versus the body of the state. In a very short five thousand word essay, we address the fact that this idea of incorporating the church under the authority of the state is really not uh, a Christ like idea. Uh, Christ would not appeal to Rome for protection. He could have, but he didn't, because to appeal to Rome for protection would subject the church, because subjection uh, draws protection, and protection draws subjection, another maximum of law. So the church should not be incorporating. One of the quotes that we point out is, uh, in many states you'll find this, anyone who incorporates under the the authority of this uh, statute of the state or this law of the state, all other previous incorporation is null and void. And we we consider the church should be the corporation of Christ under his authority, the corpus of Christ, the body of Christ. And when you incorporate under the state, you really become a part of the body of the state. And and you shouldn't be looking to it for protection. Uh, Christ should be sufficient. (laughs) But... uh, Evidently, that concept hasn't been real popular with most churches. Do you guys get a lot of flack, or do they just avoid you, or do they shun you when you talk about these things? Uh, well, it depends on who you're talking about. I mean, certainly there are <laughs> certainly some people will disagree um, with uh, the position that if you're 501c3, then you're uh, just a state corporation, you're not doing God's work, etc., uh, they they hold the position that since they're doing good or since they are, uh, you know, preaching from the Bible or they're, you know, they have, um, a, a, you know, a missionaries they support from the church, etc., that they are purely a, um, a, a purely God's institution and not the state's uh, corporation. But uh, that's I think that they're really they're overlooking the significance of what it means to be a state corporation. When you when you become a state corporation, which is what a five hundred one c three corporation is, or any other corporate status uh, under state law is, you are invoking not only the protection of the state, uh, you're actually invoking the definition of the state 
see when you when you uh, apply for corporate status, you have to define your corporation. What's its purpose? Um, you know, ministering the gospel. So when you do that, the state actually defines and makes the definition of what that means. And when it comes to uh, let's just say the tax exemption question. And uh, the state determines, or the federal government determines, well, you've stepped outside of your your limited uh, your limited power that we've given you as a corporation, and therefore we're going to take away your tax exemption status. Uh, this is the reason a lot of preachers and a lot of uh, deacons, board members, what have you, are all too unwilling to step out and call certain actions in government to be wrong. Because they're afraid that they will lose that, that financial benefit they receive from a corporate structure. And so they, you know, they think about the, the bills they have to pay and the, and the staff they have to pay and, um, you know, all the different programs that they, uh, put on in the church. And, you know, you know, think about the, the debt that they probably have, uh, with the buildings they built and all that sort of thing. And so they're simply not willing to risk losing the property and, and the money for stepping out side of their corporate protection, um, and and that right there is a is a unjust and it's unrighteous um, affiliation and connection to the state. Right, uh, you're giving it every time you apply to the state for anything. There usually is a portion of your liberty that disappears, <laughs> yeah, because they very seldom offer you any benefit without at least some strings attached. Uh, yeah. We've equated the idea of uh, this five oh. We've had this uh, this phrase, and you know, I I try to discuss this as often as I can. This five oh one c three is. Most people don't understand what that is. Uh, it's it's part of the titles. It's how you find the code that governs charitable organizations within the statutory code, codes of the United States. And it's, you know, Section 501, uh, Section C. <laughs> and there, there are several sections there that they have uh, charitable organizations under. But churches don't have to apply for 501c3 status. That's an exception that's uh, in the IRS uh, regulations. It's uh, actually under 508c1, I think, of the, the codes uh, that churches are, are mandatorily, the only place you'll find the word mandatorily, which you, know, you won't even find it in some dictionaries, but excluded from having to file... <laughs> Uh, churches are automatically even considered exempt by the IRS, even if they don't file. But it's that filing of the 1023 that gets these churches in trouble. Of course, many of them have already incorporated at that point uh, when they do yeah, that. And the problem, too, we see, Greg, is that, uh, you know, and it's, a, it's really a kind of a, a curious question to me as to why the seminaries in the United States have not taught on the subject and the significance of uh, filing under 501c3 tax exemption status. Why are they not, um, first of all, giving them the, what the knowledge that you just described that you don't have to, and secondly, not giving them the potential consequences of if you do this, this is what could happen. Because I think if they were serious about that, which they, they should be, 
because we I think you probably know specific stories and I know specific stories where the government has shut down churches, seized their property because they claimed that they violated uh, tax uh, tax code or what have you uh, because of their corporate status. So why aren't the seminaries teaching these students this? Well, I don't know if it's because the leaders of those seminaries are getting too much money and they themselves would risk um, government oversight or government scrutiny uh, being a, an education that it, an educational institution that's a 501c3 and they don't want to shake that tree. So, uh, but it's a problem because the churches today simply are not speaking out on uh, the matters that that are clearly within the scriptures, um, um, either evil um, or clearly within our constitution or unconstitutional. And uh, it's just uh, really amazing to me that so many Christians today uh, just hold this position that God in the New Testament only requires us to preach the gospel, and that's our only commission, and uh, we have no responsibility to these other important matters of life. That's just silliness. It's absurd. Uh, it's not reality. So hopefully people can do something like maybe read the book and learn more about it. Well, the, one of the things that uh, we point out is that the Bible really talks about government almost more than it talks about anything else. Uh, Absolutely. I think you're right, right on that. Uh, Cain was uh, starting a government, and he, like I said, he had to go out of the presence of God to do it, and clearly was going a different way than Abel and Seth. Uh, Nimrod, it's a government. Abraham, what did he do? He left Ur, a government. He left Haran, a government. How did he govern himself out there uh, and with all these other people? And when some group of kings got together and could go and conquer one city state after another, including Sodom and Gomorrah, who was it who saved the day? Who was it who freed all those people? It was Abraham. Well, what government did he belong to? What was he doing out there? Uh, we we use these terms like government as if if you say government, you mean this thing way over here. But Christ was preaching a government, a kingdom of God. It wasn't like the governments of the Gentiles. It didn't operate with forced taxation. It operated with free will offerings. Well, yeah. if you go back to Israel uh, under Moses, almost every time they have an offering, it's a free will offering. Uh, free will offering, uh, local militias uh, is what supplied the army. Uh, how did they take care of their widows and orphans? How did they take care of their health, education, and welfare? How did they take care of social services? They went to the Levites, who were the ministers of their church in the wilderness. Yeah. Early Christians took care of all the social welfare of early Christians through faith, hope, and charity. Early America. Early America, the churches took care of all the social welfare of early Americans through faith, hope, and charity. This movement of modern Christianity to say that, oh, you know, I actually was on the first century church forum years ago, and they said, well, we have these social welfare programs today. Uh, they didn't have them in Rome. Well, that's absolutely historically false. <laughs> they had, uh, had health care. They had uh, uh, food uh, that was given away all to the government. But those were provided by men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority, something early Rome didn't do. 
but the imperial Rome did, and it changed the nature of Rome. And it's changing the nature of America. Uh, it's not just the church looking for protection to the government in every aspect of its existence. It's the actual people also rushing to the government uh, and forgetting you know, phrases that we hear in the early days of America. As long as you look to government to solve your problems, you will always suffer tyranny. The actual individuals are going not to church for their social welfare, not to their neighbors who should be loving one another, but they go to a bureaucratic government. And I think that it's killing the community, and it's killing the community of the church. Well, and, yeah, everything you just described there uh, is true, um, especially I mean, when we talk about historical facts, uh, you're right on, and that's related to our conditions today. You're right. We, we have such a weak uh, community. We have such weak states. We have a, a weak country because the people... Um, are so reliant upon whatever government agency has been created to supposedly solve a problem. And uh, we had just have our hands out. And that's not a Christian uh, doctrine at all. Right. Well, we're going to go to a break here. We'll be back with Timothy Baldwin on Keys to the Kingdom in just a moment. I pledge allegiance to the King of Kings and to his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. One holy nation under the heavenly Father with grace, mercy, and justice for all. The program you are listening to is 100% sponsored by you, the listener, on this First Amendment Rights Media channel. You will notice that there are few commercials on this radio network. There's a good reason for that. Corporate advertising dollars come with strings that limit program content. So without your help, these programs cannot continue on Internet or our several affiliates. If you benefit by the educational law programs, we ask you to give. If you are admonished or nurtured by the Bible and ministry programs, we ask you to give. If some voice a cause that you are passionate about, we ask you to give. If you believe in any of these, we ask you to support them as you would a missionary on a continual basis, as if giving a tithe for Missionary Radio. These programs are not commercially viable and must be supported by those faithful to the cause of truth. Look for the button to sponsor your favorite programs at our Listen and Schedule pages on the Internet. Then, when you subscribe, we will send you the last quarterly MP3 CD of that program immediately and continue to do so with each new quarter. We will also give you unlimited archive access to all of our programs. We're asking you to give much less than a tithe so that you may also send support directly to a particular program host, cause, and anywhere else the Spirit may lead you. Do all to the glory of our God and Creator, for His holy nation, the only kingdom that will last forever. Thank you for listening.
Now listen to me. The Bible says, Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. I want you to know that a corporation is Caesar. Government takeover of the church. This DVD is the most powerful tool we have for waking up those asleep in the pews. The scripture calls for his people to come out of her. The corporate church is the apostate church, the whore that rides the beast. Make copies and give them away to your corporate church friends and loved ones. The truth will make them free. They will watch the DVD. Government takeover of the church. Who will tell them if not you? Get this DVD for a donation of $25 from LibertyRadioLive.com. Order online today or call 559-781-3773. Now listen to me. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're talking about the kingdom of God. We're specifically talking about Romans 13 and some of the misconceptions that have come down as people have crept into our congregations and taught us what uh, might be considered damnable heresies, uh, thinking that Americans or Christians uh, throughout the world should not be questioning the deeds and actions of the governments that they create. You know, we are the creators of most governments, the people. And one way or the other, we either create them overtly through agreements or contracts or uh, applications, or we do it to uh, neglect because we don't do anything about it. And so we've been discussing Romans 13 uh, with uh, Timothy Baldwin, uh, son of uh, Chuck Baldwin, uh, an attorney. Uh, I know that, uh, Timothy, you have some other interests. Uh, Can you tell us what your website is and uh, what that's all about? Yeah, my website is libertydefenseleague.com, and it has... um Essentially, the efforts that I'm engaged in right now, I'm, I'm certainly very interested in. Uh, I really, I kind of feel that uh, Greg, you and I probably study a lot of the same material just based upon what you have been talking about today, uh, the way the, the words you've been using and the concepts you've been expressing. Um, it kind of almost sounds like I'm talking to myself a little bit, but um, it's, you know, the, the study of philosophy relative. Uh, to uh, to scriptural understanding and truth, and uh, I, I have a focus on political um, political truths. Uh, I particularly am interested in the concepts of uh, reforming the, the federal union, the fifty state union as we know it today, which I believe is um, simply I think unworkable given the diverse uh, interests throughout the union. Uh, as political philosophers have uh, noted throughout history, the bigger a country is, the more concentrated and centralized the power will be, thus creating essentially a monarchy or even a dictatorship eventually. Uh, so, and of course, uh, for us to have a republic, uh, the the formula for that typically has been recognized as being a smaller uh, community. Um, with the ability of the people to control their representatives um, in that smaller territory. So 
um, you know, if you start looking into the details of what it means to have a federal union, I don't think that our founding fathers really expected uh, the, the union, uh, which originally started with 13 states, to grow to what it did so quickly. In fact, if you read some of Thomas Jefferson's writings on that subject, he didn't think that the West would be civilized or inhabited uh, for another thousand years. And that's very interesting to think about because no sooner no sooner did the ink dry on his paper than the western states were almost all developed and uh formed into uh formed into states and 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 um admitted into the union just a just a few decades after he said that so again they did not anticipate a an industrial uh society they did not anticipate a technological society they did not recognize that people would be able to travel from one end of the country to the other in a matter of uh, just a several minutes. And all of the factors that go into that, they didn't consider that when ratifying the Constitution. As a matter of fact, Greg, you're probably familiar with these um, things I'm about to say. Uh, but those who were opposed to the U.S. Constitution were largely opposed to it because they felt the U.S. Constitution would not be able to govern the number of states that existed even at that time. They thought that there would be too strong of a opposition uh, against each other under that one centralized uh, authority. So as we've seen history progress in the United States, we have seen a centralization of power. We have seen the federal government overtake the power of the states thereby creating more of a monarchy-type government than a republic government, which was what was created in the first place. So that's kind of a long way of saying I'm pretty, I'm pretty interested in discussing how reformation can be uh, obtained in this country. Um, and, of course, as we're discussing today, we're into Romans 13, book that I just authored with my dad, um, which is a part theological discussion with a part political discussion, I think, um, and I've written another book, a uh, political science book called Freedom for a Change. So uh, that uh, pretty much summarizes my interest there, Greg. And uh, I think the Lord is uh, leading me down the path that will uh, continue in that realm. And so we're kind of waiting to see what, what where that takes me. <laughs> <laughs> well, one, one uh, I'm a big one for quotes, as evidently you guys are, because like I said, there are about 700 footnotes in that uh, book. But... Uh, uh, my my daughter used to tease me years ago when I was writing. Uh, I I see the footnotes, Dad. When are you going to write something? Uh, because uh, it seemed like uh, half of what everything I was writing was quoting somebody else. But I guess it was because uh, why should anybody believe me? Uh, yeah. But yep. Uh, the reality is, uh, as far as this uh, changing, uh, there's a statement that's uh, come down. Uh, and t before governments will change, men must change. And so, you know, I've been on this road for a long time. My father was an attorney, uh, and I asked him once, uh, you know, we knew lots of people in uh, politics. Uh, I mean, he actually knew the Bushes back when <laughs> uh, Georgie was a little kid. Uh, and uh, although we weren't very fond of them because we knew too much about them, I guess. But I asked him why he didn't go into politics. Uh, and uh, he said he was dishonest enough to be a lawyer, but not dishonest enough to be a politician. And uh, that, you know, I was only about nine when he told me that. But my father was about the most honest man that I knew. Uh, 
He quit the law three times in Texas because uh, he was disgusted with the good old boy corruption that was going on behind the scenes. Yeah. And never, never would even enter into a, an agreement to be in a law firm again. But he, you know, and when I first began to write, I brought my materials to him and said, uh, what do you think? You know, and basically, uh, he talked about, uh, told a story about how he spoke in front of the American Bar Association on the natural law when he first became an attorney because he was pretty well accepted his high score great university and all this stuff and uh, he was told by the head of the texas bar association to uh it was a wonderful speech but never talk about the natural law to attorneys again and of course natural law is kind of where we start <laughs> legal systems yeah, so yeah. it's it's very important that people understand that the average american doesn't have any knowledge of these things no uh, and, and what's very interesting for an attorney to say that is to show his he's either showing his ignorance as to the origin of the law or it's showing his um his prejudice to the concept of natural law that is there's law that god created by nature, and man's law has to conform to natural law. So one of those two is probably true for an attorney to say that. But, you know, <laughs> if you look at the states in the Union today, most of them, probably all of them, still have, either in their Constitution or in their statutes, a recognition of the applicability of common law unless the statute has, um, has essentially... Um, excluded a particular common law cause of action, that sort of thing. But like here in Montana, you can raise a, com a common law cause of action against someone, um, and uh, it's, it, it probably is done on a regular basis, and the, the thing about common law is it's actually natural law uh, as described and as expounded by our forefathers um, throughout Europe and, and also in the colonies, and then once again in the states once they were formed. So... Um, that right there is an interesting subject for an attorney to say that don't talk about natural law. Yeah, I know. It, uh, and my father specifically told me that story. Uh, it wasn't common to tell me stories when I, I handed him the, the first chapter of the book Covenants of the Gods, which is about the contractual nature of government. And, of course, the Constitution allows us the right to contract. And we just earlier talked about this 501c3 incorporation of the church and filing 1023s with the IRS, that these are forms and ways in which the church contracts away its natural right to make choices and decisions on behalf of Christ, for Christ, in the service of Christ. And they give power to another agency or corporation of the world to make decisions for them because they have contracted away their rights. And, and I believe that the individual is often doing the same thing because they're looking to this corporate government uh, or the, the agencies of the government, which are often have a corporate nature to them, to provide for them, and therefore they began to lose access to these natural rights. When my father first became an attorney, I remember as a small boy that he was often arguing precedent, how juries had decided cases before. Now often cases are being decided almost totally uh, by judges based on statutes alone. Yeah. And the statutes... Uh, 
should be in conformity to something. And what I think they're often in conformity to is this contractual nature of government. I mean, we used to have uh, very few laws in this country. Now you have so many laws, rules, regulations, uh, administrative rules. Uh, uh, dealing with uh, this church issue 20 years ago, I couldn't figure out why a particular attorney of the county was going, kept making his conclusions in a particular way, and I realized eventually that he was basing all of his decisions on the Oregon administrative rules, uh, not on the statutes. And reality is, is he's just getting more and more removed from the natural law, <laughs> from what a church really was, uh, because he's using administrative rules, which were supposed to be in conformance with the statutes. But the statutes are supposed to be in conformance with law. And if there, if the statutes uh, usurp the natural law, then the legislature becomes a pirate. <laughs> it, and it that's begins... something that attorneys aren't taught in law school. You know, we're, we're essentially trained to read a case, to be able to recognize the facts, the issue, uh, to the the rule, and then the conclusion. And uh, we form everything based around that. And so, an attorney, when he gets out of law school, unless he's just done independent research and thinking on his own, he comes off thinking. That's how I practice law. That is law. And so we very rarely see, with exception with, with some attorneys that I know who are exceptional attorneys like Herb Titus and, and some of the guys that, uh, you know, work in his firm, they do an excellent job of actually bringing out into their, into their cases and into their briefs to the court, uh, not only do they bring out historical truths regarding the foundation of our country, but they bring out scriptural References. They bring out philosophical um, uh, um, ideology, and they they weave that into their argument. And uh, that's what attorneys are supposed to do. That's what Patrick Henry did. If you read the story of Patrick Henry after the American Revolution, we won, and there was an issue uh, being decided on uh, the debts that the colonists um, held. Not held, but they uh, actually they were the they were the ones who were indebted to um, British um, creditors. And Patrick Henry uh, went to Emmer D. Vattel, who I'm sure you know is the um, is the author of the Law of Nations, which is a an ex really an exposition of natural law as it relates to um, nation to nation. And uh, you know he used that, recognized that to be a fundamental concept of, of natural law. And that was how the case was essentially decided. It was on that basis. And so that's what attorneys should be doing. Uh, but we hardly ever see that anymore. And you know what, Grant, I think what that does too, um, especially for the, for the public who's listening to these things go on around them in the legal system and they, and they read these news articles and, you know, the only thing they can think about is we have to get a Supreme Court justice who's going to rule this way so we can change precedent. We've got, we've got to get a you know a president who's going to appoint this U.S. Supreme Court judge because he's going to change the precedent. They're missing the point. They're they're missing the the, the fundamental concept here of having uh, the people understand what natural law is, what the foundational law is, so that we can hold accountable not just 
courts, because it's, it's actually very hard to hold courts accountable many times, but to hold accountable those people who execute laws, the executive branch, the, in the legislative branch. We're shirking our responsibility by trying to um, just simply focus on getting a judge appointed to office. That's missing the point, which goes back to our dis- original uh, discussion, Greg, which is Romans 13. We are, you know, if, if government is a minister of God, and I've heard people say this before, that, you know, we are not commissioned to get involved in politics. Well, they're completely ignoring the definitions and the words used to describe what higher powers are in Romans 13. God refers to them as ministers of God. That means government is a ministry of God, just like a pastor is a minister of God, and a, and a teacher is a minister of God, and a prophet is a minister of God. You go through all the list of the ministers of God, and government is included in that. Well, if there's, if there's a ministry of God on earth, that requires Christians to be good stewards of that ministry and requires us to be responsible for those things around us, such as government. Yeah, the, uh, in the quote, uh, uh, Romans 13, uh, and the, you know, the, the whole chapter, uh, it goes on and talks about rulers being a minister to God. And there's many ways in which a person can take that. Uh, you know, a person can actually refer to Hitler as a minister of God, and uh, in in some sense of the word, that's true. Uh, but in another sense, it's not. Uh, one of the things that uh, I, I we quote often, and of course we see it in early American Revolution, uh, uh, quoted uh, by in Common Sense, which is Samuel eight, which talks about the people of Israel who had no king for many, many years and functioned as a government. It was a different kind of government than they were once they got a king. Once they decided to vest more power in an individual and his officers, they changed the nature of their government. So, uh, But God allowed them to do that. And allowed them to make that choice. I don't know that he necessarily... You know, we use this word appointed... Uh, there's 14 different Greek words that are translated or could be translated into the single English word uh, appointed, and they all appear in the, the Bible and the New Testament alone. And we have to be careful because all these words have different meanings. There's, there's different kinds of appointments. But God allowed Saul to be created uh, or uh, appointed or set up as a king in Israel. But when the voice of the people chose to do that, he still still described it as a rejection of God, that he should not rule over them. So there was government before Saul, there was government after Saul, but they were a different kind of government. It still was going to serve the purposes of God because it was going to teach these errant children a lesson. And he tells Samuel, now tell them what's going to happen when they do this. Allow them to do it. Give them the freedom to make that choice. But tell them what's going to happen. What's going to happen is that this king is going to be able to take the first fruits of your labor, uh, the best of your fields. He's going to appoint officers over you who are going to also have this executive power. I mean, they had officers before in the government before the king, but they didn't have an executive power. All the 
offerings for free will offerings. Uh, he's going to take your sons. He's going to make his instruments of war. He's going to make your sons run before his chariots, which sounds like a dangerous place to, to be. And, and today, when I, I read that, I always flash on the image of all the military men that are, are have been exposed to DU and other things that are causing uh, evidently severe health effects in uh, young men and women who go into the military service. All these prophecies of Samuel warning us that if you decide to create an office of power like a king, uh, that this is what's going to happen. And he's actually serving God because God knows that eventually you'll come to a point where you're going to cry out under these burdens that are going to be placed on you. And they're being placed on you because you rejected God and did not want to have him rule over you. So, to me, the solution is that people have to go back to what that early church was doing. And I'm talking not just the early church in America, which was a, a shining example to what we see today, but the early church in Rome and the early church in Judea and, and throughout the Roman Empire that was providing the needs of the people through faith, hope, and charity... Uh, you know, I've come to the conclusion after all these years that you cannot be a socialist and a Christian. And yet I hear some people actually saying Christ was a socialist. Yeah, well, if yeah. you if you take the gun out of the hand of socialists, <laughs> you know, well, maybe that kind of socialism Christ was. But as long as you're going to force the contributions of the people... In order to provide the welfare of the people, then what should have been for your welfare will become a snare and bring you into subjection. And and this is what happened with Saul. When he forced a contribution, uh, Samuel came in and said, Saul, why have you done this foolish thing? It was because of that, forcing the contribution to provide for a legitimate need for his army to protect them from the Philistines that they were moving into an area where his kingdom would not stand uh, because he forced this sacrifice of the people. And and our modern churches, I'm not sure they are preaching the gospel. Uh, they say all we have to do is preach the gospel. I think that would be great if you were actually doing that. But the evidence I see, the fruits of what they're preaching, is not the gospel of loving your neighbor. It's actually the gospel of coveting your neighbor's goods yeah. the agency of government. Yeah. And so in order to bring this government, which is your original question at the beginning of this half hour, to bring your your uh, uh, government, whatever government it is, whether you want to call it the United States federal government or the uh, uh, government of the state of Texas or whatever government, back to what government really should be, the people have to go back to what they really should be. And I think that's the whole message of the gospel. Repent. Turn around. Go another way. Yeah. And, and we point out that Judea was becoming, you know, Herod was baptizing people into the kingdom of heaven. John the Baptist was baptizing people into the kingdom of heaven. They had different visions of the kingdom. Herod thought, you join up. We force your contributions, your your sacrifice to take care of the widows and needy of the uh, and orphans of our society. But John the Baptist was saying, if your brother has no coat and you have two, share with him. He was yeah. preaching faith, open charity, and that is the dividing line between the goats and the sheep, between 
the true Christians and those that follow the ways of Herod and Cain and Nimrod. And so if we want to change the course of governments, we have to change the course in our own lives. And this is the bottom line of what we preach. So what what are your comments on that uh, concept? Well... Uh, you, you 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 put a put quite a bit out there. Uh, <laughs> 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 well, let me let me just comment on what you talked about earlier with um, your reference to the story of of Saul. You know, when the people wanted the king, and then you know the whole thing that took place where God let them make that choice, and then He told them what was going to happen, etc. You know, people will use an example like that, and they'll use an example like. King Nebuchadnezzar, who God used to enslave uh, Israel, and we all, and, you know, we know that God used foreign countries and He used um, uh, internal government of Israel to enslave the people of Israel because of their sin, because of their idolatry, etc. But here's the distinction. Well, first of all, the conclusion that people will make is that, well, since God let that happen in the Old Testament, we see that God. Um, God's will for people is not that they always be in freedom, but that they be in faith, and we can't do anything about it. And they use those examples. Now, the problem is uh, that God does not operate the way He did in the Old Testament today. He doesn't. Speak to us We're going to have to go to another break. We'll hold that thought. We'll be right back. The keys to the kingdom in a moment. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Now listen to me. The Bible says, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. I want you to know that a corporation is Caesar's. Government Takeover of the Church. This DVD is the most powerful tool we have for waking up those asleep in the pews. The scripture calls for his people to come out of her. The corporate church is the apostate church, the whore that rides the beast. Make copies and give them away to your corporate church friends and loved ones. The truth will make them free. They will watch the DVD. Government Takeover of the Church. Who will tell them if not you? Get this DVD for a donation of $25 from LibertyRadioLive.com. Order online today or call 559-781-3773. Now listen to me. Fight the fight. We are here to equip you because you love the truth. LibertyRadioLive.com. 
Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm here, Brother Gregory, with uh, Timothy Baldwin, who was uh, cut off in the middle of answering <laughs> some uh, concepts and talking to us. Are governments used to uh, punish the people? I actually don't like to use the word punish. Uh, I like to use the awaken the people, uh, waking them to their foolishness and their folly. I mean, if you have to spank your children, it isn't so much uh, to injure them or to hurt them or make them feel bad, but to... Uh, to awaken them to the foolishness of whatever error they are committing. I always tell my kids, I can't, I can't make you do what's right, but I can make it darned uncomfortable for you to do what's wrong. And I think that's what God will use governments, Pharaoh's governments, the, the, uh, the uh, brothers of Joseph sold him into bondage, and they themselves ended up going into bondage into Egypt to learn what that means to put your brother into bondage and of course today we often put our neighbor into bondage to what we think should be our uh, our entitlement and we force him to contribute to our welfare uh, and so therefore we are captured in the same net a concept that we hear about in proverbs uh, 10 but anyway uh, tim uh you were talking about nebuchadnezzar and how governments may be used uh if you can remember where you were i'll let you finish that thought <laughs> sure. well i mean the, the problem with the the position that since god allowed slavery to take place in israel that god will uh, God's will is that we simply let slavery take place in our country because God obviously is willing that or ordaining government to enslave us. That is uh, that's a fallacious interpretation of Scripture. God in the New Testament does not speak to Gentiles and He does not speak to New Testament Christians the way He spoke to His only cre- uh, created government, the theocracy of, of Israel. He, he did not do that. He only speaks to us. Through his word, we glean from his word uh, the understanding of what is right and what is wrong. We have notions of justice. Uh, Romans 13 talks throughout the chapter about good, evil, uh, being an avenger for good, uh, an avenger against evil. It talks about uh, the concepts of for this cause, or in other words, conditional, a conditional submission. It talks about tribute and honor and custom and all these things. All these things refer to the natural law concepts of good and evil, justice. And so to just simply ignore all of those qualifications and characteristics that Paul was using to describe God-ordained higher powers is to create a false doctrine. It's to ignore scriptures. We can't do that and be honest with ourselves and have any credibility with other people to state the position. So, and the thing about it too, Greg, is that um, it would be a, quite a curious position to state that God uh, does ordain the government to, to enslave us, and therefore we must submit no matter what. When the Apostle Paul refers to these Old Testament um, uh, Israelites, and also even not Israelites, some Gentiles, uh, in Hebrews chapter 13, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 11, where he talks about uh, the uh, individuals who rebelled against government. He talked about David and Moses, and, and he talked about the midwives um, uh, in, in Exodus. And he talked about Barak and these others who he described as subduing kingdoms. Uh, um, he, he talked about how they turned the flight the aliens. Uh, you know, these were people who, who were uh, conquerors against evil government. 
They were not uh, submissive slaves to government. And yet he uses those people as an example of Christian faith. And this is the same writer who wrote Romans chapter 13. So it's very, it's really just absurd to, to use Romans 13 as this justification for unconditional submission. Now, you brought up a point earlier, which I believe is a very important point, and it's something that I, I have in the book uh, relating to the priorities of a Christian um, as it relates to his duties to his neighbor, to his family, to his friends, to his fellow community members. We have this uh, command by Jesus that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves and that to, to, um, to treat them as we would have ourselves be treated. The golden rule is, is the essence of the, of the law of Moses and the commandments. And so there's this universal duty that, that everybody has, but especially Christians have, to treat our neighbors as we would have them treat us. This creates a duty for us to ensure that government does not treat our neighbors in an unjust manner. We wouldn't treat their, our neighbors in an unjust manner. So how is it that we would allow our, our, our agent or our government or our, uh, whoever it is that's uh, implementing the laws um, to have the same uh, or to treat the, the, our neighbors the way we can't treat them? So there is this uh, universal superior duty uh, that we have. We cannot shirk it. We, we cannot do away with it. Just because government exists doesn't mean that it's right that our neighbors would be trampled or that our, our family would not be provided for. The Bible says if a man not provide for a family, his family, he's worse than an infidel. Well, there's really only uh, one practical way you can provide for your family, and that is if you have the means to provide for your family. So what if government is 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 taking away your means to provide for your family? It's stealing property, it's taxing you over, over um, I mean, it's excessively, etc. These are all concepts uh, that we have to um, think about in light of our, our pri- primary duty to God and then our primary duty to our neighbors and family. Yeah, one of the, the things that uh, we talked earlier about the 501c3 and churches incorporating and what's happening is that churches are going under the authority of the state instead of remaining under the authority of Christ. Uh, one of the things that we talk about, we've written articles about, is this idea of religion. And, and religion is mentioned only five times in the Bible. And most of the time it's talking about it in a derogatory sense because of the twisted nature that people apply to religion. But once it talks about it as pure religion, and pure religion is to take care of these orphans and widows, uh, and uh, in essence the needy of society, unspotted by the world... And that's the word they use there for world is defined in theirs as uh, constitutional order or system of government. Um, and what I believe that the, uh, he's talking about is this same, you know, if you sit and eat with a ruler, you be a man of appetite. <laughs> uh, put a knife to your throat because he serves you deceitful dainties. Or in Proverbs uh, also when they talk about, uh, uh, you know, uh, having one purse and uh, laying in wait uh, to take advantage of your neighbor. If the Christians aren't preaching this idea of loving your neighbor and taking care of your neighbor and providing for the social obligations that uh, men like Pufendorf, who you quote uh, extensively in, in your book, uh, talks about, uh, then 
a vacuum is created in society and governments like the federal government is going to offer you programs by which you can take care of these social obligations. Except like Herod, they will force the contributions. And so the, we're now feeling the sting of that bondage that we have created by not going to church and doing what we should have been doing, taking care of the needy. Instead, we went to governments, and governments are now doing the job of the church, taking care of the needy. But like governments uh, often do, uh, they're doing it by compelling contributions. And the power to how much you have to contribute is in the hands of a few rather than where it should be in the hands of the people. So the balances of power that... uh, Men talk about Russo, the checks and balances have all of them have shifted to government and away from the people. So, again, it's our concept that church needs to be stepping up to the plate as we see the government collapsing under its economic woes. We're going to see those benefits they supposedly offer decreasing and decreasing and becoming more and more inadequate. And the church is going to have the opportunity, just as they did in Egypt, to provide for their needy. As the Pharaoh said, you're going to still have to pay your tally of bricks, but you're going to have to get your straw yourself. (laughs) And I think that those are metaphors for the fact that the American church and the world church, uh, the church everywhere, there's only one church. Christ didn't start 40,000 of them. He started one church, and it's up to us to conform to that need to get back to taking care of one another. And that's the only road back to the liberty that God bestowed on us, which to me is the higher liberty. All government's power comes from people. Righteous power comes from the fact that people have given it. The original power comes from God who gave it to us. And when we shirk our responsibilities... We're going to see all those things prophesied by Samuel and the other prophets coming about. We already see them, so that's our road back. Well, everything uh, you just said is, is, is what we address in the book, and it right. goes into detail about that. But one of the very curious, or not curious, but very interesting, enlightening concepts we see in the Bible relative to uh, people within society and governments um, who are... Uh, governing society is this concept of an expressed or implied oath that they take to each other and to God uh, to operate uh, their their lives and their positions of power uh, not to the detriment of the uh, to the neighbor or to the citizen but to the benefit of them and in and, and and this this word oath is used throughout the Old Testament and it's actually uh, suggested in the New Testament as well that uh, the government does in fact take this oath. And there's another great passage of scriptures in the Old Testament that says, "Where where we have violated our covenants to our brothers, we the Lord, um, of course, to put just to put it bluntly, uh, just he, he punishes us. He will not let a brother violate a covenant with another brother without God." Um, you know, God requiring the the covenant breaker to pay for what he what he uh, did there, and so this idea of having this oath is very essential to the understanding 
of the purpose of government. They cannot violate this oath that God imposes on them without violating the ordination of God. And nor can we as a citizen, as a neighbor, um, allow people to trample on our neighbors and for us to uh, assist in that by not doing anything and violating our oath, our covenant, to our neighbors and our uh, fellow citizens. Yeah, there's two words in the New Testament that are translated oath, and uh, one actually means uh, a prayer, uh, There's and the other one actually has to do with swearing an obligation, this is our desire or not. Uh, in, in your book, you do quote, uh, the good of the public is the supreme law of all, but the problem I think is going to continue to arise as it has throughout history. What is good for the public? Uh, according to some people, social welfare is good for the public. <laughs> uh, well, that's why you have to de- you have to define what good is, and that's yeah, you're right. If, if I say something is good or you say something is good, and they contradict each other, then I'm not sure if both of them are correct. But <laughs> we have to define good as we see it in scriptures and. Uh, we see throughout the Old Testament and New Testament that it is good for man to be able to work and enjoy the fruits of his labor. You know, no, you know, the Bible talks about Adam and Noah being the husbandmen uh, of their of their um, of their labor. They they were able to cultivate land. They were able to raise families. They were able to, um, you know, uh, travel. They were able to do these things as husbandmen of God's creation. And so we start to see uh, the elements of what good is here uh, in context of society. And, it's, and I think really it could be described pretty well as what John Locke said, and that is the, the, the purpose of government is to protect property, life, and liberty, which is what our Declaration of Independence says, uh, and it comes directly from John Locke's writings. So, you know, we, yes, we have to define what good is. Uh, but I can tell you what good is not. Good is not taking from one by force and giving to another uh, because you simply have the power to do it. That's not good. Um, that's why the Bible says in Romans chapter 13 that we pay tribute not out of fear's sake only, but out of conscience' sake, out of what is right and what is wrong. And that's why it says we give honor to whom honor is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear is due. We do not give these things to people that it, that it's not due, and we do not give tribute to governments where it is not due. So uh, you're right. I mean, that's and that's the essence of what we're trying to do with the book of Romans 13 is to express and understand what is good, what what is good, what is evil in context of society. And uh, if we can't define that, then I think that people will just simply define things as they want to in, in the first place, or they simply won't care and they won't try to learn themselves. Right. The uh, wh- one of the things that Peter says is that to covetousness they shall make merchandise of you, and we paraphrase that to to your desire for benefits at the expense of your neighbor, you shall be made a human resource. And yeah. I think our desire to have these benefits, and I, I'm, uh, and this is what always happens in a democracy. And the United States has become really an indirect democracy. Uh, and to some degree, that's what the Constitution was creating. It was creating it within a republic, and even the American Creed still states that the United States federal government is a democracy within a republic. 
but are looking to that federal democracy to provide us with every benefit, even though we know it doesn't give us anything. <laughs> Uh, not to speak ill of poor Mr. Obama, but uh, he once said something about uh, uh, that he shared his lunch with uh, somebody at school, and so therefore he must be a socialist. Well, a socialist is someone who comes to school with a gun and makes everybody give him a share of his lunch, and then he redistributes it to those people who are too lazy to bring their own lunch. Uh, that there's a, a huge jump there between those two concepts and for people are trying to blur the lines and we're trying to clarify the lines we're now in a bondage worse than that of Egypt Egypt only one fifth of what you had to give to the government uh, was required uh, 20% income tax one fifth of everything you earned was given to Pharaoh um, and it's still that way in Egypt today, as a matter of fact. As a matter of law, that, that's the ceiling limit on income tax in, in Egypt is one-fifth. But in America, it's far more because Joseph didn't make the deal with us. And it is that way because we as individuals and the church, as, as I hold dearly responsible, has said it's okay to desire benefits at the expense of your neighbor. Yeah. And and the church should be providing all the social welfare and I think that we can do it I know that we can do it more efficiently than the government yeah. because Christ created offices of service and men have gone out as they've done since the beginning as they did with Saul as they did with uh, Rehoboam and, and those that followed him is that they create offices of power for their own personal benefit and that selfishness has delivered them. They're trapped in the very net of their own creation. And well, that's what why you see whenever Jesus describes to his disciples the uh, benefactor, uh, the benefactor government of the Gentiles, even though he, he sort of has some play on words. I mean, he, you know, he describes the government as benefactor because that's what it's supposed to be. In other words, it's a, it's a minister of good, but yet they, have, they bear the rule over them. But he follows up with that and says, this is not the way it's going to be with you. You must rule. I mean, you must um, you must serve if you're going to be a leader. Right. He gave us a principle there that um, with regard to government, and it could be any government. It could be family, uh, government, civil government, uh, whatever government you want to um, talk about. Jesus' model for that is that the leaders are to serve the people. Uh, in, in, in quite stark contrast to those governments that we've seen uh, in the past and in history and we're experiencing in our own country, where the rule of force is the rule of law. Right. Uh, and, and see, the, the church is literally the antithesis of that, or should be. The true church, established by Jesus Christ, is the antithesis of forcing your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. It... The reality is, I think that if we were to get back to what that first century church was doing, which was taking care of the needy uh, of their society, Christians did not go to the Roman uh, free bread giveaways uh, that many of the Pharisees did go to, uh, because they knew that those contributions were coming by forced contributions of the people. They were the men who called themselves benefactors but who also exercised authority in order to have any benefits to give you 
And Christ wanted us to learn to live by faith, hope, and charity. And I, I, until Christians get that message and start living that life, I don't think we'll have freedom in America. We'll have less and less freedom in America. And so yeah, more, until until the, the bottom sort of falls out from underneath us and we finally realize, hey, this, this system was bad all along, um, we, we should have been practicing uh, Christian, true Christian principles, uh, and then maybe it'll wake a lot of people. Unfortunately, uh, too many people don't learn these lessons on their own. They have to be burnt pretty bad before they realize the fire is hot and it's going to hurt you. So um, I think you're right, though. I think, unfortunately, we just simply, uh, even as Christians, we're, we look at government in the wrong light. We look at government uh, as uh, a provider of things that's not supposed to be providing. Um, we we have, I think, just been sort of desensitized to uh, communism, to socialism, to uh, the idea that government is um, is a is a um, what, what, how, how was the description here? It, it's some that government is all things to, supposed to be all things to all people sort of idea. Um, we've got to get away from that. We've got to get back to the internal consciousness of of loving your neighbor as yourself uh, which is a base rule um, loving God primarily and and only giving honor to whom honor is due we, we, this undue giving of honor is, is really distorting uh, our priorities in, Christ, in our Christian lives today right and I see that uh, amongst the medical society, you know, that uh, doctors have become gods. Uh, uh, many of the churches, the, the pastors are, are showing a life of decadence and immorality, and people say, oh, we well, have to forgive them, and they let them stay pastor. Uh, you know, and the Bible clearly teaches the opposite of that. Uh, here's a quote that is in our book, The Higher Liberty. The churches in New England were so many nurseries of free men training them in the principles of self-government and accustoming them to the feeling of independence. And these uh, petty organizations were developed in practice the principles of individuals and, and national freedom. Each church was a republic in embryo. The fiction became a fact, uh, the abstraction a reality. Uh, this is what the church should be, is this, in a true republic, uh, you are free from things public. You know, the, the Roman Republic evolved into an imperial power. Uh, they took all the silver out of the Roman silver coin, uh, which brought about runaway inflation. We see that already taking place in America. A heavy dependence on government benefits in order to sustain you, even in a modicum of society's needs. Um, we we see that in America today. We need to turn around. And the church was so successful in that period of the decline of Rome that Constantine even tried to emulate what the church was doing. I don't really think he did a good job of it. He actually was creating another church altogether, uh, or at least the embryo of that church. But he tried to imitate what the church was doing because Christians during the decline and fall of the Roman Empire, even during the periods of persecution, were actually prospering because they were following the precepts of Christ in spirit and in truth. And modern church is not doing that. 
Uh, I, and I hope we do. I, I hope you're. What you're saying there is so is so crucially important to the success of, of the Christian community, the Christian life, the impact we have on everything around us. Um, if we cannot exude those fundamental principles of faith, hope, and love, and charity, then I think that we're have a very difficult time with uh, convincing anybody, including those within government, that these these things are, are true. These things are, are needed. And um, I think they, uh, unfortunately, a lot of the churches, the corporate the corporate structures we see, they're more like social, they're social programs. Um, but they are not impacting society uh, to make these necessary changes. We, we still see a, a strong moral decline. We still see all of the indications of a demoralized society. And despite the fact that there are many, many hundreds and thousands of churches across the United States, some, something's wrong, something's missing. Absolutely, and and I think it's actually the true gospel of the kingdom, the whole gospel of the kingdom. Patrick Henry, uh, yeah, there's a picture of it on Herb Titus's office. Uh, I thought that was I pointed that out when I was there. That uh, uh, yeah, Patrick Henry said that uh, the Constitution was written as if good men would take office. When bad men take office, they will steal your rights to ambuscade. And unfortunately, we've created a a socialist society in America that is going to probably continue to elect the wrong kinds of people. And so I think the answer is the church again, established by Christ, which is to go back to that responsibility, to start fulfilling those social responsibilities, start being the government of the people, for the people and by the people that Wycliffe talked about long before Abraham Lincoln. And we've just gotten away from that. We're going to run out of time here, and I know you have other things you have to do. You probably won't be able to stick around for the last half hour of the show. So I wanted to make sure that you had a chance to uh, uh, tell the people about your website, anything else that you and your father are doing, or uh, make sure you get your own personal announcements out here (laughs) before we run out of the last minutes of this half hour. Uh, well, I just encourage your listeners to to study these things. Um, I don't know, you know, what the the education level of this subject is uh, to a particular listenership. Maybe they they're more educated than maybe some. I don't know, but I think, I, they, I think they are. I think they're extremely well educated and getting more educated all the time. Uh, so we can never to... stop learning these things. So I would encourage them to get the book, um, read it for themselves, and then tell others. They know about the book, uh, putting it, you know, put it on their blogs and their emails and that kind of thing because this is a crucial subject for our our day. We have to get back to these things we talked about through these through the last hour and a half. Uh, they can order the book from my website, which is libertydefenseleague.com. They can also order it from chuckbaldwinlives.com, and uh, they can also order some other materials that I have. And if they go to my dad's website, they can order materials that he has. Um, good, good knowledge and information that we try to provide uh, for people. So uh, that you know, that's right now what we're trying to focus on with our message is uh, liberty through Christian understandings of, of, of Christ and His laws and God and His laws, and uh, hopefully it'll it'll enlighten the mind, it'll, it'll uh, free the spirit, it'll allow people to um, to be free in Christ, and and we can start changing a lot of these things that are going wrong around us. So, again, they can go to LibertyDefenseLeague.com. I certainly appreciate the time that you've uh, allowed me to speak with you. I've enjoyed your, 
your commentary as well, Greg, and I hope to be able to speak to you sometime soon in the near future. Yeah, I was up to Montana. Too bad we didn't get a chance to meet. We we like to encourage those uh, face-to-face meetings. And there's a, you know, I'm sure we'll find some differences, and that's how iron sharpens iron, just to to deal with those things. I'll have to send you a copy of our book, uh, Contracts, Covenants, and Constitutions, as well, <laughs> so you get a chance to look at that. Uh, uh, anyway, I want to thank Timothy Baldwin for being on the show. Uh, maybe we can get your dad on the show one of these days. <laughs> yeah. And, and go, uh, you know... Uh, go at some of the things that are probably much of the same things that are on our hearts. Uh, yes. We're yes. trying to create a network. I know you guys are, have your uh, black regiment and been trying to get other churches to look at these issues, and I think that is really the the only hope for America, the only hope for the world today is Christ, but we have to teach His whole gospel and uh, and provide for it as uh, Patrick Henry said because it's the whole truth that we need so thanks again for being on and God bless Fight the fight. We are here to equip you. Because you love the truth, LibertyRadioLive.com. The Greatest Prophecy DVD from Cross the Border Productions. Embrace the little-known but greatest prophecy given by the Great High Priest. The pre-incarnate Messiah reveals God's once secret plan for mankind. Believe it. Behold the end times in Daniel chapter 2 because the dream is certain and the interpretation thereof sure. It is the key to prophecy future. Comprehend the seven-year great tribulation deception. Be not deceived. Understand the great prophecy delusion because if it were possible they shall deceive the very elect. Be forewarned. America in prophecy exposed for all to see. The mark of the beast. No, it's not a biochip. A much better and more secure technology is already here and you are already using it. Two copies, one for you and one for you to give away when you send a support donation of $25 to First Amendment Radio. Use the chip-in event on our website or send $25 cash to First Amendment Radio, 139 East Tulare Avenue, Tulare, California, 93274. Make copies and give them away. Send $25 cash for two copies of the Greatest Prophecy DVD. That's First Amendment Radio, 139 East Tulare Avenue, Tulare, T-U-L-A-R-E, California, 93274. A wise man is forewarned and prepares for the time to come. The Greatest Prophecy DVD. 
If you read the history books, the most often asked question to Southerners was this, why did you fight? And the most often given answer is, because you're here. In other words, the South did not invade the North, the North invaded the South. Was it the Civil War or War of Federal Aggression? John Weaver sets the record straight in this DVD series on the Civil War from the Old Past Christian History Conference. Was there a war to set the slaves free? Or was it a war to enslave us all? Get this DVD and judge for yourself. War of Federal Aggression. The truth seems strange only because we've been indoctrinated with a fiction. War of Federal Aggression. Get it today. Get this DVD for a donation of $25 from LibertyRadioLive.com. Order online today or call 559-781-3773. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Um... We had Timothy Baldwin for the first hour and a half. He had other things he was going to have to do, and he told us ahead of time that he was going to have to take off in this last half hour of the show in order to get those accomplished. And I know how that is. I thought it was an interesting show. We could have gone into uh, in more argument mode on a few things. He he said he did read Higher Liberty. I don't know if he read the whole thing, but I, I, he must have got past the first page anyway um and of course in higher liberty it is our contention that paul is really talking about the original liberty uh the supreme supreme liberty which is the right to choose that god bestowed on each of us we all have a right to choose and that is the higher power that is the original power and we create these other governments of power when we fail to be the government of the people for the people and by the people so we create these corporate bodies these kings and queens of society who will make laws for us and rule over us uh, we don't need lawmakers we have a law don't steal don't kill don't covet your neighbor's goods don't rob uh, don't conspire to get an advantage from your neighbor that you do not have a right to allow your neighbor the right to choose whether or not he will contribute to you uh, that is the essence of the law uh, that we see in the Ten Commandments once you have that everything is uh, built on that now how did Israel operate without a king for so many years they gather together in tens and hundreds and thousands or fifties and, and thousands and they did this by ten families picking a minister and that minister was their government agent their government service they were uh, ministers licensed by the people by the choice of the people to be the minister of that family but ordained of God because they were appointed to that position by God but it was up to the people. They had to have the responsibility to, to govern uh, and police that minister accordingly and according to that faith that they have in God. What we've done today is we've elected ministers who not only have the right to exercise authority over our contributions, but exercise authority over what our contributions will be. 
and they are able to force our contributions which Samuel calls foolish and that is why we were in bondage because we thought it was okay that he forced our neighbor it is also okay that he forces us so we've all gone back into bondage and we've done this through a system of contracts and covenants and applications and uh, we need to repent of that and the true sign of repentance is to turn around and go another way. Start providing the needs of our society through faith, hope, and charity. So everybody should be picking a contact minister and hopefully working towards creating ministers of record. They become ministers of record because you make a record that this is your minister. And you make that record by tithing to him according to his service. And it's tithing because there are ten families in your congregation. But the amount that that tithing becomes depends upon his service. And if all things are equal, that'll be 10% of your income. And he can devote 365 days minus Sabbath (laughs) to your service in health, education, and welfare. In order to do that as a kingdom, he needs to connect with all the other ministers that are doing the same thing. And that is our white regiment, our regiment of Christ, our uh, regiment of service. And the highest amongst us simply is the best servant of servants of servants. If you create office of power, they will exercise the power over you. If you create office of service, you will have the opportunity of serving one another. you If you really had formed churches according to the ways of the early church, you would have no need for insurance, no need for social welfare, no need for any of these things that have brought you back, these welfare systems that have brought you back into the bondage of Egypt and been a snare for you. So now everybody's going to immediately run to their computers and and sign up for the Living Network, start connecting with other people that are beginning to understand and see this, and uh, they're going to edify the kingdom of God. Or they're going to keep going to their mindless churches that think service is singing and not harmonizing with Christ and get absolutely nowhere. (laughs) So anyway, that's your choice. That is the liberty that you have before you. So anyway, we have a telephone number that we can give out. Paul, are you there? I'm still you're, here. You're still here. You didn't get a word in between okay. the two of us. There were good words <laughs> shared between both of you. I I did try to send an, uh, a message off through the uh, Skype uh, blog thing there. Uh, was there any questions coming from the uh, uh, chat room? Or was the chat yeah, room I was typing them in? Were you not getting them? I wasn't getting them. I hadn't seen any changes in that since my original message to you. Maybe you got uh, to scroll up or down. Or... Oh, my gosh. Here we go. <laughs> All right. Okay. 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 <laughs> so now we can't ask these questions. Uh, asked if either of you are familiar with George Gordon's School of Law. Abiding by biblical laws as to the ordinance of sovereignty, benefits of God's law, uh, man's, etc. How would this apply to the kingdom today? I don't know if he is familiar. He might be familiar with George Gordon. I know George. I've 
known George, met with him, sat and ate with him uh, years ago before he even moved out west. Originally, he was in Idaho, and he came out here to Oregon to speak, and he pulled me up on the stage <laughs> back then and humiliated me. And I actually, I was the only one. There was must have been four or 500 people at the meeting, uh, maybe even more. It was a very large auditorium, and it was packed. There were people standing in the aisles back in those days. And uh, I was the only one who contributed. You know, they passed the hat. There was no entrance fee. And I was the only one who actually contributed a silver coin to his, uh, his speak. When he saw that, he, he said, who put this in there? <laughs> <laughs> On the stage. said, this is the only guy who gave uh, real money <laughs> to this ministry. I don't think he used the ministry. Uh, but uh, anyway... Uh, there was also uh, a comment in the chat room that George might be a good uh, interview for this show. Oh, he could, but I probably won't get a word in that one. <laughs> uh, George, uh, uh, we've had a number of people have gone to his stuff. I actually have a, a copy of one of his original courses before he got more over into the biblical concepts. I know people that went to some of his first Feast of Tabernacles and... Uh, Somebody tried to roast a sheep without gutting it first, which was a big, huge mistake. Uh, they actually didn't even skin it from what they told me. I mean, I can't even imagine that that took place. But uh, 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 anybody who's read uh, the book, Thy Kingdom Come, which is free on the, the net, will see that uh, uh, our interpretation of the Old Testament may diverge from George's. I can't speak because I haven't talked to George lately, but... Uh, uh, our understanding of Hebrew is vastly different from uh, what George was probably reading and understanding the Bible to be saying. Uh, we are preaching that the Old Testament and the New Testament are identical in precept upon precept, but the version that most people are reading is misunderstood as much as Romans 13 is. So uh, people need to read Thy Kingdom Come. Uh, and hopefully I'll get my next project is hopefully besides all the other work that I have to do <laughs> in order to keep body and soul together is to finish the book uh, uh, Blood on the Altar uh, or Altars of Blood. I forgot which one we settled on. Do you remember which one we settled on? <laughs> what week is it? <laughs> well, that's the problem with dealing with dyslexia is that I keep reversing it back and forth. I can't remember which ones we... Uh, I can figure it out because I think I've got it actually written into the <laughs> into the work. But that's going to be really important that we understand these altars. And believe it or not, we were talking about that with uh, Timothy Baldwin, but we're using different terms. And that's what people have to be careful of. You know, like, I don't think he agrees quite with my interpretation of higher liberty, although I got it in there. Uh, briefly, is higher liberty the, is the original liberty, the original right to choose, which God granted you, did not grant government. And if you were really being the government of the people, for the people, and by the people, you wouldn't have had any need for the Constitution whatsoever. Uh, the Constitution is for sinners. It's for people who have rejected God. And the problem with the Constitution... Uh, which will have to be another entire show, a difference, and you can get it in our Contracts, Covenants, and Constitutions audios, which you can listen to free on the net, 
is that there are four precepts that the Bible requires that you put into any constitution. And only four of them were put in the Constitution of the United States. And the fifth one is that you can never elect a leader who is not one of your own, which we seem we have done. I think you misstated that. You said there, there, you mean there's five in Deuteronomy, and five only in one the, of them is in the Constitution. Four were not. Okay, did I say that wrong? Yeah, there are four are not in the Constitution. And uh, one is, and the one that is, is that he has to be one of you. Uh, and, of course, uh, it appears that Barack Obama was is not a citizen of the United States. I actually read an interesting thing. That the, the, they passed some laws on immigration. Uh, or at least, actually, they didn't actually pass it. It was voted down, but it's been implemented by the bureaucracy, which is... Uh, the Dream Act, they call it. But uh, the hope of the Democrat who was pushing this was that someday we will have an illegal alien elected president of the United States. Well, evidently, we've already done that. <laughs> There's a comment and, uh, in the chat room uh, okay. that I think it might be good to address. It says, I still can't read liberty in the place of power, not in line with the original intent or Greek. Uh, well, uh, we read, uh, you can read the definition, uh, right in Thayer's of, uh, that the word excusia, uh, means, uh, here's the, read it right out of there, power of choice, liberty of doing as one pleases. The original liberty was granted by God that he gave you the right to choose. Now, that doesn't mean that you get to choose anything. It That choice was defined. God gave us dominion over the earth, over the fish and the wildlife and what have you. And uh, he gave us the right to choose between the tree of life or the tree of knowledge. And if we choose the tree of knowledge... Instead of the tree of life, uh, there are going to be repercussions. You have the right to choose that, but if you choose the wrong one, you will suffer the consequences. You have the right to elect a king to rule over you. But if you do, this is what's going to happen. He's going to take your sons and daughters and make his instruments roar and take and take and take. So the original word excusia defined even in theirs, a modern dictionary fairly modern dictionary, is the power of choice, the liberty of doing as one pleases. Uh, and But it isn't without repercussions. If you decide to be a homosexual, you will be fruitless. <laughs> and you will not bear fruit in many ways, not only uh, through cope, uh, reproduction, uh, but you will, your life will be fruitless. Uh, you will not live long upon the land if you do not honor your father and your mother. Uh, these are the repercussions. You can choose not to. You can choose to sin. You can choose to reject God. And you will suffer accordingly. But that's the higher liberty. Uh, and that was ordained of God, that you would have that choice. And now, that doesn't mean you have the right to steal from your neighbor or rob from your neighbor or to... Uh, uh, you know, uh, injure your neighbor in any way or covet your neighbor's goods. You have the right to choose to do that, but then he has the right to deal with you 
because of your sin, because of your violation of his rights. And, uh, you know, so I can't see it any other way. Aristotle couldn't see it any other way. Um, uh, the philosophers that were using Koine Greek couldn't see it any other way. <laughs> uh, they said it was the, uh, even, that's why it can be translated liberty. And in the book, Higher Liberty, we go through every single place that the Bible uses the word excusia, uh, exousia, uh, and we take a look at that. And it means the right to choose. It's your, you have a right to choose, and if you give that right to choose to government, then they can, they have that right to choose. And they become the higher right to choose. And they can tell you how much to contribute, because you gave them the power to decide how much you could contribute when you said that they could force your neighbor to decide how much he could contribute. When you said to the government, yeah, you can force my neighbor to contribute uh, to the government for my personal welfare, you yourself were trapped in that net. And now maybe the government is the higher power. But it's going to be there to punish you, just like... Saul was there to punish the people. He, he was going to force the contributions. They were told that in advance. He would end up doing that. Uh, David numbered the people, instituted a draft. David repented. Saul fell on his own sword. Solomon, I don't know, he was all over the place. But he evidently whipped the people with whips. And his son, Rehoboam, whipped them with scorpions. All the things that Samuel said proved to be true and they proved to be true today so i don't know i don't you know all i can do is lay out these this is the way it's defined this is what it says the power of choice liberty of doing as one pleases uh, if we look it up in strong's you'll find that same definition if you look it up in greek concordances of the time uh you know greek dictionaries of the time that's the way they were defining it that's the way people were defining it both in koine and greek so if they can't see that, I don't know what to do. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I always think it's pretty amazing that that God, you know, he, he must have really loved us to give us to even think about giving us that freedom of choice to allow right. us to go away from Him. I mean, right? I have a tough time yeah. with that with my kids, you know. <laughs> yeah, I know that's what I was going to correlate it with our own children. Is that I give my children lots of choices, but I tell them. And I said this earlier, I think it was in Blog Talk, that uh, I can't make my children do what's right, but I can make it darned uncomfortable for them to do what's wrong. And that's built into the system and uh, that God created. And if I am created in the image of God, that's what I should be doing, making it darned uncomfortable for them. I'm not, I don't want to raise children that will do whatever the guy with the biggest spanking paddle uh, says they have to do. I don't want to have my children do what's right because they fear uh, the sword. I want them to do what's right because they love doing what's right. Uh, but that doesn't mean I'm going to let them do anything they want, especially, you know, you got a two-year-old or a five-year-old or a six-year-old. Uh, but I'm going to be constantly breaking them in on the idea that they're going to have to make their own choices. And they're going to have to accept the responsibility of those choices. And then I'm going to hopefully educate them so that if you decide to do that. We have a neighbor 
uh, out here, uh, someone in the community, all their sons think they're women, and all their daughters think they're men. <laughs> their daughters are becoming lesbians, and their sons are becoming, <laughs> you know, you know, homosexual. I guess lesbians are homosexual. How is that possible? What is going on? Uh, it's a product of ideas that they have accepted in the way in which they raise up their children. And uh, uh, I believe that if we choose the tree of life, our children won't be going those certain ways. And my children don't always make the best decisions. Uh, some of them have, you know, haven't always had the courage and faith that, you know, that I believe that God desires us to have. But, you know, they're pretty moral, upstanding individuals. Uh, you know, none of us walk on water. But it, whenever I see them failing to meet those standards, uh, I realize that it's often my own failing. That's what I point out to people is that if you have to spank your children, you never give up that option. If you have to spank your children in order to maintain discipline in your family, it's probably because you've already failed somewhere else in the process. Um, and uh, and that's good to know that because now you can take a look at your own shortcomings. And uh, God has designed this system not to punish us but to awaken us. Uh, if you consider being awakened punishment, well, then so be it. But... Uh, you know, punishment and reward, there really is no difference. Uh, punishment is just reward that we call something we don't like. <laughs> you know, if bad things happen because of our choices, it's that's the reward that we get. And God has put it there to awaken us. So that's hopefully, uh, unfortunately, we're coming into a time of a great awakening. <laughs> <laughs> Or fortunately, we're coming into a time of a great awakening. And two, one thing I also tell my kids always as they were growing up, two ways you can learn this, easy or hard. The easy way is to repent and follow the ways of Christ and start loving your neighbor. Start, Stop trying to rule over your neighbor. Uh, that doesn't mean you don't rebuke him. That doesn't mean you don't tell him when he's doing the wrong thing. But you're not going to rule over him and exercise authority over him except when he steps outside of the, the basic laws of God, which is stealing and robbing and, and murdering, etc. Uh, but the other way, the hard way, is to make the choice to not follow the ways of God, to reject the ways of God, to go out of the presence of God like Cain. And that's the hard way. Because what's going to happen is that tyrants are going to rise up Cain became a tyrant. Lamech became a tyrant. Nimrod became a tyrant. They became a tyrant because you looked to them for benefits, even though you knew those benefits were going to be provided at the expense of your neighbor, and you thought that, that was okay, and you were made merchandise, human resources. And you gave too much power to men who could not, who were corrupted by that power, could not withstand the temptation of that power like Christ did. And, you know, so that's what's going to happen. Uh, you have a right to choose the wrong, but you don't. You will not escape the wrong. You will suffer accordingly, and you will suffer accordingly because God wants that suffering to waken you. 
And uh, unfortunately, the churches today are trying to alleviate that suffering. Most of what government does is trying to alleviate the suffering that comes from your sin. You know, uh, you have calamities and the government tries to intervene. You know, God sends the flood. God sends the storm. God, why didn't you know the storm was coming? Why? Because you haven't been listening to God in anything else. Why would you expect to know the storm is coming? How come you don't know that we are facing economic collapse? How many Americans think that we're going to just keep going along and going along? Well, they don't see what's coming. Well, they don't see what's coming because they haven't been listening to God and all the other little things. They think it's okay to covet. They think they can be a socialist and a Christian at the same time. Well, you will not see what's coming. You will not know what to do. You will you will decide, oh, I'm going to stock up on beans and I'm going to stock up on, uh, uh, you know, ammo and guns and I'll fight them off. Well, if you're not acting according to Christ and loving your neighbor as yourself, you won't know where to hide. <laughs> you won't know where to shoot. You'll, you'll end up shooting somebody who's come there to save you <laughs> because you're not walking in the ways of God. There's a price to pay for the choice you make. And you have one choice, the tree of life or the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you choose the tree of knowledge of evil, you'll head the wrong way. So we only got about 60 seconds left and this show will be over. And we'll see everybody. We have to get this network picking out the next guests. <laughs> Peace be upon your house. They make you with. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.